Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Founders Craft Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gonzalez, and joining me on the show today is Bobby Grinwald. Bobby is the pastor of innovation at Life Church and is also the founder of the Uversion Bible app, which is actually the largest uh, Bible app in the world. Bobby was also named by Fast Company as one of the most creative people in business. And today we're going to talk all about metrics, product strategy, and continuous improvement. And Bobby is going to share some very specific things that you can do within your organization to continue to grow your organization, your app, your product, or your service. So Bobby, welcome to the show. Tell me about the beginning of Uversion. My background was as an entrepreneur in business before I came to work at the church. I had a couple of startups in the 1990s. And my first role on staff at the church was really just solving problems, whatever problem we had, and yeah. covered a wide gamut of problems. And um, and so one of my first official titles, I think, was actually new campus development leader. So I was sort of the person that was the zero to 60 mile an hour guy to start a new location for our church, which really fit well with the startup type mentality that I had. But in 2006, um, I began to really feel like some of the experiences that I had in business had a more significant purpose into kind of who I was and what my calling and purpose was. And um, begin to think about how I could apply some of the things I learned in business, uh, particularly with technology, yeah. to help us with the mission that we have at our church. So begin to, to sort of dream of what could be. And there were a few ideas that came out of that that um, we tried. One of those was something called Church Online. Yeah. And it was an effort to create an online community. Now, this is back in 2006, so this would have been sort of the very beginning of social media as we right. know it today. Yeah. Um, up, up at that point, most people were using the internet to deliver content, and we were trying to say, what if we could create an environment online to, to create community, yeah. connection with other people around content, but, but the community was the real emphasis. So we started that in 2006, and then later that year, in October, I was in the O'Hare Airport in Chicago along TSA security line. And that particular day, I was asking myself the question, you know, I wonder if there's a way that we could use technology to help me read the Bible right. more consistently. I was sort of embarrassed to say that I was a below average Bible reader. Sure. And here I was on staff at a church. You should probably you know, read the Bible right. regularly or more frequently. Um, I had all the right intentions. I just had a lot of excuses. And I wonder if there's a way that we could, it, it would, we could design something I could connect with. And then perhaps um, if it worked for me, I know there's a lot of people that are like me, Absolutely. not just on staff at a church, but just general people that would love to learn more about the Bible. Yeah. And so perhaps it could help others. And so in the security line that day, um, this idea came for version. The original idea was for a website. Uh, and we actually launched that website in 2007. Yeah. It was quite a process to get it off the ground. Oh, like I anything, I mean, it, it, it's not just the technical aspect of building the website, but there, we had no idea that we had to license the Bible text. We basically had to get a lot of people to buy into this vision right. um, to do it. So there's the typical startup kind of challenges that you encounter, maybe even more significant than some of the ones I've encountered mm -hmm. in the past. Um, to get there. And we launched it though in 2007 and September 2007. And a few months in, we realized that everything about the data we were looking at indicated that it wasn't working. Yeah. And, and also 
anecdotally, we just knew that our own use of it was a bit forced. <laughs> right. You know, like we were having to use it because we created it, but not necessarily because it was natural. Yeah. Um, so we recognized it was December of 2007 that it had failed. Um, it wasn't just like, let's tweak it. If we could just redesign this or adjust this a little bit, it might work better or more right. effectively. It was just fundamentally either you know, not at the right time for that idea, just not an idea that resonated and connected the, the specific way we were going about it. Um, but one of the reasons that we felt like it failed and we processed several different reasons was that it was really all built around having to be connected to our desktop. And back then it was literally a desktop, not a laptop you right. know, um, computer. And, and we were using our Blackberries all the time. I mean, it was with us day and night oh, yeah. and pretty well addicted to those devices. And so we just thought, I wonder if, even though the Bible's a really big book, I wonder if we could redesign that website to make it work on a BlackBerry. Right. So we redesigned the website. It was very simple, yeah. but so simple that it actually worked. It was profound how we just naturally began to read the Bible more consistently. Mm -hmm. The traffic to the website was going up from people accessing it using their Blackberries. That's incredible. And yeah. um, and we could tell that there was just a, a real natural momentum. The idea really resonated. Yeah. Steve Jobs announced they were making start. They were going to start the App Store, make it possible to develop develop apps for the iPhone. And so we just thought, what if we built a Bible app for the iPhone because right. we'd saw this on the BlackBerry. And uh, so that's what we did. We found a 19 year old on our team, a guy named Sam Sophus, and. Uh, he loved Apple and he was a developer and yeah. that was kind of about all you needed back then was to be 19 and love Apple. Pretty and, much. <laughs> and, uh, and there was no, obviously no books about it or no classes, but as a part-time project, we worked to build a Bible app, submitted it to Apple and, um, and you actually contributed to That's that effort. Crossed, yeah, yeah. Our paths crossed because you actually designed the original app icon. Yes. Um, for the Bible app. And I don't know if you did any other app icons for other apps at that time or we not. Were doing, yeah, we were doing some other apps that were coming out in the medical space. Okay. The, the so did you have any space. that launched in the store the day that it launched? Uh, no. Well, you had the, the Bible, Bible, the Bible app. The Bible app was in. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so the day that the app store launched, the Bible app was in there. And yes. so your icon was visible on the very first day. And um, we were blown away by the result. We had no idea what to expect. But from Thursday night to Sunday morning, we saw 83,000 people wow. install the app. Now, you know, by today's metrics, that's still a lot, but but yeah. you know, that back then it was just sort of Especially unthinkable. Especially for a new platform, um, new device. Yeah, it was just yeah. kind of completely unexpected. Absolutely. But we moved really, really quickly, and I think that was one of the patterns with Uversion from the beginning was this the speed and agility at which we um, tried to, to continue to move. And so by Monday, that was Sunday when we saw that data, by Monday it was like the full-time effort. Yeah. Um, that 19-year-old was this was his full-time job and um, we were reallocating resources. We really had very few resources, but we were taking kind of what we could yeah. and quickly trying to, to move quickly because the App Store was launching in other languages and mm -hmm. we were trying to see if we could get the app into those languages. So how many languages like. is the version app available so today? Today, um, we have Bible text available in over 1,300 languages. Wow. Um, we have the app localized in, I think, about 55 languages. And we provide tech support and, um, you know, just uh, all of our communication goes out in many languages. We use over 1,000 volunteers yeah. to kind of do all of this. So we're responding to tickets in 
um, Arabic or in, wow. in um, Mandarin and and responding back in those languages. And so obviously um, it's there's, it's grown over time. It didn't start that way. Yeah, exactly. It started yeah. very, very simply. But so over the last, though, 11 years, we've really seen the growth mm-hmm. um, grow dramatically. There's 83,000 devices now are uh, over 390 million. Wow. And, yeah. and it's growing at a pace of about four to five million new devices every month. Right every now. month. Wow. Yeah. It's been an incredible journey. Yeah. Now, let's talk about metrics because mm-hmm. growth, uh, it's hard to measure your growth unless you know what to track and what you're paying attention to. Sure. Um, what would you say are some signs, uh, healthy signs, or signs that your product is actually healthy? When it comes to metrics, what do you sure. look for? Well, we we always look at, um, and from the beginning, we've tried to look at daily active users. We try to look at, um, and we, we have kind of a, a strata of group. There's a lot of people that use the Bible on a weekly basis because yeah. of church. So weekly active user is also a metric that we've looked at. I like to look at the patterns of use, yep. you know, um, what times of day, um, kind of the rhythms of, of users. Certainly, as we've um, expanded in different languages, it's been important to look at geographic patterns as well. Yeah, as well so you're seeing cultural language. differences and things like that. Exactly. Um, you know, and then within the features of the app, we're looking at feature adoption you know, pretty regularly. So for us, you can use our app without having an account, without registering right. just with no, no account at all. Um, but um, in order to, to use several of the features we have and make the experience positive for users, we require that people create a free account um, to access it. So we're looking at the conversion rate, essentially, of how many people create accounts. That then gives us the ability to communicate with that user yeah. on an ongoing basis, which is a real key factor if we're trying to develop habit formation, if we're trying to yeah. be able to, um, to regularly connect with the user once we get the user's permission to talk to them. Um, that's definitely a big kind of milestone moment. So we try to optimize the user experience mm-hmm. um, to get to that path, as well as um, optimize user experience to move towards what we believe contributes to a daily active user. Yes. So those yeah. would be kind of our points of emphasis. Um, we actually measure probably everything. <laughs> so yeah. I know that people say we measure everything, like you know, which is important. And the truth is we really like to have the data because sometimes we discover that there's patterns that we hadn't seen before, hadn't anticipated, but having access to the data actually helps us to understand those or identify those or retroactively go back and see right. what, what changed on maybe a data point that we haven't been paying close attention now, to. I know that the app over time has evolved. Obviously, some features have come, some have gone. Yeah. Uh, how did you know at what point, at what point did you know that the daily habit of reading the Bible was actually like taking off? Like, how did you see, what, what changed in the metrics? It's a good, a good question. Initially, you know, we were very, very simplistic. Um, meaning initially we were looking at the time in the app and the number of installs, you mm-hmm. know, and trying to, um, see how app store launches and language launches, how we were tracking and yeah. doing well. Then we actually moved into platform by platform because it moved from iPhone to Android, Android and Blackberry. Yeah. And we had at one point, I think 10 active platforms we were supporting. So then we were looking at, you know, platform growth and we were looking even at macro data about platform growth because back then you weren't exactly sure how it was going to shake out, you know, right. whether it's going to be iOS and Android, whether it's going to be, you know, Bada, Windows Phone. Yeah. I mean, there was lots of different versions and some, some that probably people are completely unaware of, but on a, on a global basis, there were. Um, and and so um, as time went on, we there's a couple of things that impacted this. One was there was some research that talked about um, basically the the power of four, which was being 
uh, involved in the Bible or connected to the Bible four more times per week and the impact that that had on several um, different factors from divorce rate to crime to just a lot of kind of things that society would actually probably agree these are really positive outcomes yeah. and they could have a correlation between those activities um, and reading the Bible four more times per week. Yeah. So we thought four more times per week is essentially a daily active user. I mean, it, it, we would consider that a daily active user in terms of a single user in, interfacing that many times. So our goal was to try to figure out how to move people from a monthly active to a weekly active, yeah. from a first-time user to a daily active user, and and progress along those ways. And we, I think we really started to see that take off when we started the concept of a daily reading plan. That was yeah. one of the first factors that we could tell begin to contribute to people's rhythmic use of the app. It removes friction because a lot right. of people sometimes struggle to know what to read in the Bible and when. And the daily active reading reading yep. plan really helps with that. Uh, up until that point, you know, it was kind of uh, it was a reference tool that people that were inten intentionally wanting to develop a daily habit had now had access on a device they had with us all the time. So mm -hmm. that one factor did make an impact yeah. in people's ability to use it. Where I think that was that people have maybe discounted that, but you know, people don't care in our society. People don't carry physical books or a Bible with them everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. You know, they go a book of any sort. They don't typically carry yeah. a lot of stuff with them as mobile devices have become have been proliferated everywhere. It's even less so the case, you know, yeah. where you would, it'd be a little odd to see someone carrying a book everywhere exactly. with them. Um, and so culturally the concept of a physical paper book sitting in your house, maybe by your bedside or someplace in an increasingly mobile society that doesn't always go to bed in the same place every night yeah. and travels for work or whatever, all of a sudden that became one factor. We feel like just access on a device with you made a difference. Then when we started to realize the device is far more powerful than that, um, as opposed to just something you can go to, that it has the ability to interrupt you, yeah. you know, to actually prompt you to proactively yeah. pull you back into it. Um, that as each of those features begin to get released on different platforms, we were always looking at how we could utilize those um, to encourage daily engagement, whether it be push notifications yeah. or even just emails that can be sent to the user once we have communication with them, um, reminders that people set. Um, that all definitely brings the Bible to life. I mean, obviously you read the word and it's, it's alive in and of itself, right? But when you have the ability for the Bible to prompt you, at the perfect time when you wake yep. up in the day or we need that reminder uh, or even if with the habit tracker, right? Or is it the reading streaks where you could yep. open it up? Uh, that keeps me going back because yeah. I don't want to lose my count. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's such a powerful tool when you have the Bible that comes to life. Now, obviously, the Bible app has grown over a couple of years now and you not only have traditional U version Bible app. We also have one for, for kids yep. and also the Bible lens. Yes. And so um, how has the uh, evolution of the Bible app uh, been influenced by ideas? I want to talk a little bit about sure. just um, the wide range of ideas that come and go within your team. How do you prioritize uh, the right feature, the right uh, next app to build within yep. your team? Well, we definitely have a lot of ideas, and as related to kind of the future roadmap, um, when the app first started, we had an entire kind of room of wall yeah. of ideas that we wanted to, to implement. Um, ironically, some of those ideas 
just got implemented. One one of them just got implemented about a year ago, yeah. year and a half ago, and it was on the original kind of brainstorm, which meant it was ten years, you know, before wow. that actual idea yeah. got implemented. And and so we're always sort of trading up better ideas against existing ones. We're evaluating. We have, we log kind of everything that we think is a potential feature, you know, for the app. Right. And then we're making prior prioritization decisions of which features we're actually working on now, which ones we're deferring to later. Right. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into how ideas make it into the app. Um, where ideas come from is actually a fairly broad set of inputs. Initially, I was a lot of the idea generator. Um, many times ideas come from users. Yeah. We'll have users that suggest ideas. We think that's a brilliant idea or it's been suggested enough times that we realize that's a pattern. Yeah. yeah. And so that'll make the list. Um, our team is uh, pretty in tune uh, with emerging technologies, mm -hmm. changes to how things are being used, changes to how platforms work, opportun new opportunities that the platforms are creating, whether yeah. you know Android creates maybe something new about their operating system that creates a, a potential feature idea or opportunity. And we are always asking every time we see those things yeah. in the emerging platforms, how could this or how might this better Bible engagement? And and so that emerges into an idea that again makes the list. The, the, the way an idea gets from the list into actually being worked on uh, depends on a lot of factors. It, it, it depends on the complexity of the idea, the amount of time that it takes to implement. Um, right. There's a bit of guessing as to what we think the return might be. Uh, we try to evaluate which metrics or which factors we think the idea is going to contribute to. So is this going to be something that affects people's time in the app? Is yeah. something that's going to affect um, more sessions, more app opens? Um, is this um, going to um, sustain or, or retain users or yeah. sustain engagement? Um, so there's a lot of ways we try to look. And then we also look at, is this a feature that's maybe for a power user? Right. Is this a feature that's for a much broader audience? Um, we try to balance that because uh, because our team are power users. Yeah, <laughs> it can be very easy to kind of build a set of features and around. see things through that lens. Absolutely, it's like because like I have that. so many friends yeah. in the app, I need to create a set of features that let me filter through these friends right. or do something different. It's like, well, that's true. That is a problem, and it's a problem for people that have a lot of friends in the app. Yeah, but most of our users don't have that many friends, exactly. and so yeah. we have to kind of always make sure we're balancing um, those factors. And I think just remaining somewhat objective and 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 empathizing with the uh, the broadest set of users yeah. is important. Um, sometimes uh, when it comes to certain features, like recently we we added the ability for users to uh, add fonts, you know, to the app. Yeah. And that, uh, while some people might presume that's because hey, there's some nicer looking fonts that I like, the reality of that feature is based primarily in the fact that certain languages without the ability to download fonts that weren't on the device, right. um, the language is basically unreadable. Exactly. You know? yeah. and, and so it's a very practical thing because we support so many languages. Oh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not aware of any other app that actually supports as many la written languages as the Bible app does. So that puts us in a territory where we actually have to develop sets of features yeah. uh, to solve problems that other people just aren't with concerned multilingual with. multilingual apps. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the idea of just the culture at Uversion. Uh, it's a healthy culture. It's a good culture. Uh, and one thing you mentioned, we were having coffee one day, and you mentioned that sometimes you like to leverage opposing ideas within your team right? and uh, use those opposing ideas to find the best way forward, yep. right? And so you might have some someone who feels very strongly about, hey, we need to support Alexa. And then you might have someone else who is... 
uh, or feels very strongly about something else. What what does yeah. that dynamic look like? Yeah, so I um I I like to have a diversity of ideas mm-hmm. um, because I'm an ideator. I don't um, I, I have I'm passionate about ideas. I have lots of them myself, but yeah. I also have had to develop a fairly honest filter where I'll be happy to pick apart any of my own ideas yeah. and I actually want the idea to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And so I like the process of kind of intelligent debate mm-hmm. around ideas, yeah. meaning I like it to survive right. a, a process. And in fact, sometimes it feels incomplete and mm-hmm. it feels like I'm a little more uncertain about an idea yeah. if I don't feel like it's been adequately challenged and kind of processed through. Sometimes, sometimes that involves an opposing idea and yeah. sometimes it just involves um, kind of a very critical um, dissection right. you know, of an idea. Yeah. I, I teach our uh, team and our creative team here at the church this concept of of where their identity is. Uh-huh. And I, I, from our standpoint, from a faith standpoint, I just kind of view that God's created us um, to create. Yeah. And I use this analogy of a tree. And in this analogy, I'm the tree. And because ideas are one of the types of creative ways I express myself, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a tree that's designed to produce ideas. Yeah. Um, some of those ideas are going to look great and taste great. Yeah. Some of those ideas, if you kind of take care of the analogy forward with fruit, um, are, are maybe not going to taste so well. They might be a bit rotten. Some will fall to the ground and, and go unnoticed. Right. Some will actually fall to the ground and plant uh, you know, seeds that will plant another orchard. You know, yeah. like I have a huge kind of impact. Um, I don't really know what every piece of fruit will necessarily become, but I just know that I'm designed to produce more. Right. And so part of what I'm doing is is filtering through which are the best pieces of fruit, but I don't get my identity confused with being in the fruit, that my identity is actually in yeah. the tree. And a lot of times when people create, when they have ideas, they put too much of their identity into mm-hmm. the idea. To the, it's too much of them. Right. And so when I ask you for feedback about it, I might not not truthfully want your really honest feedback. I kind of want you to affirm it. Right. Right. Because I want you to tell me that I'm okay yeah. or that my idea is good. Right. But, but in reality, what I really need is I really need people around me um, that are going to be honest, yeah. that I can trust, that trust me and, um, and will be able to objectively look at it and just say, but I'm not quite sure that that's going to work. I don't get it. You know, I don't get it is actually one of my favorite responses yeah. because it either means I haven't done a good job explaining it, which means that's good because I need to work on like how we describe Deliver this describe because it, yeah. it doesn't make sense. And and how you describe it is a big part of a successful idea, meaning like your ability to essentially market it or sell it oh, yeah. or convey it or lead, you know, lead it. Um, and if you if, if you can't get the right vocabulary around it, that's going to be a big problem in execution. Um, so. So that's one. And, and sometimes I don't get it means I don't get it. Like right. it literally doesn't resonate. I don't understand why that's needed. Yeah. It doesn't affect me. And and that that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It just means that that's a great piece of feedback because it's not it means it's not universally understood yeah. or yeah. universally accepted. Um, and even when an idea makes it through a process and gets sort of to a place where it's been critically analyzed, it's been adapted, changed, modified, and improved, and now it's a great idea, it still doesn't mean you should do it. Right. Because you still have to consider a lot of factors. You know, there's there's opportunity costs, there are just the resources, there's a timing. Sometimes a great idea has to be done at the right time. Right. 
and you could do something too early and you could do something too yeah. late. Um, and, and it's some, someone shouldn't always presume that the, the time to do every idea is, is as fast as possible. Right. Um, because sometimes sequencing it where culture is or timing oh, yeah. church online, for example, we, that original idea for church online, actually the, 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 the beginning of that idea, the first origination of that idea happened five years before we actually did it. Wow. It yeah. wasn't because we couldn't do it, didn't have the technology to do it or didn't have the resources to to work on it. It was because I, I felt like broadband penetration needed to Just be at a higher yeah. percentage for it to be at a place where it would get received, be received the way that exactly. it was. Yeah. Um, so we were waiting. We're just yeah. waiting on on it to things to change for that to take place, and that's a tough thing to do. It is um, yeah. is to have patience to do it. But that's but but the process is important. Um, the refinement of an idea for me, actually, I feel like as a, a leader is a really critical thing because you just don't want to waste a lot of time on yeah. the wrong ideas, and you also want to recognize when they're the wrong ideas because sometimes you'll still make a mistake even yes. with a really good process. Yes. You want to recognize that as quickly as possible. Uh, do you mind sharing the process uh, that you go through to, sh to basically narrow down and filter the idea? Sure. Um, yeah. So so for me, it's, um, it's going to be different for different people, but um, you know, when I have an idea that I feel like is worth pursuing, I first have an internal filter. Mm -hmm. I've mentioned that before. I, I'm picking it apart and I feel like I'm at a place with, where I carry those ideas that I'm relatively honest and objective. Yeah. Now, it's impossible to be completely objective, you know, with yourself. It's just a still, it's always yeah. going to be a yeah. bias, you know, that you have towards the idea. Um, but I try and I've, I, I feel like it's one of the skills I've developed over time is the ability to say, okay, let me kind of challenge the idea. How would I counter this idea if I was a competitor? Yeah. Um, what, you know, how, how do I research and find if someone else is already doing this and could we learn from either their success or their failure? Their failure yep. um, you know, these kinds of questions about um, am I what are the biases I'm bringing to the idea? What am I hoping it's going to do? And yeah. then challenging the biases a little bit. So I go through this process. And if I get to where I feel like this is a good enough one for me to share, yeah. I, have a, I have a group of people. It's not a formal, formalized group, um, relatively informal, but they're the, usually the same people. And these are people that are a mixture. There are people that, um, all, all of them are people that know me. Yeah. And they're all people that trust me and I trust them. Because there has to be a foundation of Absolutely. trust, I think, for, yeah. for feedback. Um, some of them are really, really good idea people, not at a blank slate idea, but at adding value to ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like there's two different types of um, ideators. You know, there's the kinds that are like, give me a blank slate and I can kind of come up with an idea out of nothing. Right. That's sort of the way I'm wired. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not exclusively that, but that's where I have uh, an orientation towards. And then there's other people that can, they have trouble with that. Mm -hmm. But if you give them like a nucleus Starting of an idea, point, yeah. their ability to like add value to yeah. it and like it just spurs all a bunch yeah. of additional ideas is incredible. And I always, I try to have people around me that are good at that because yeah. it complements what, what I bring. So they're not only there to challenge it, but sometimes they're there to add value to it, or they sometimes will solve the challenge they come up with themselves. Uh, yeah. You know, sense. like, like you know, with it. So in that process, again, it's not a formal, we don't have like a, there's not a meeting every Monday or something where this happens. Uh, it usually is more spontaneous based on the fact that, Hey, I've got this thing I want to process. Uh, and 
And I would say there's three or four that would be in that group of people for me. We don't usually do it in a group format. I usually do it one-on-one because I don't usually like group think yeah, that takes place it. where everyone just kind of agrees because they heard what the other person right. said. I actually want them to feel free to feel like perhaps they're the first person I've talked to about it. And then they can be the, they can do the, I, I just don't get it, you know, right. routine or right. whatever, you know, or it's a safe place. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a safe place to do it. Cause I'm, I'm real sensitive to not wanting to, to, to kind of overweight um, the way I do the feedback right. because it's really easy to come in strong, have a group of people. I love this great idea. Yeah. Here's what I'm thinking we need to do. Blah, 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 blah. What do you think? Right. You know, it just sets it up with, you know, in a loaded now, way. Now, are you, um, a lot of companies obviously incorporate user feedback as they're ideating. Do you find that you uh, use the metrics that you're looking at to influence the new idea? Or do you have the idea from the blank slate yeah. and then bring it to the user? Yeah. So the, when I say blank slate, um, a lot of times it's not like completely blank slate. Right. It's usually trying to solve a problem. Um, or it's trying to create an opportunity and the opportunity might be based off of something new or something that's emerged. So there's this new technology that was talked about or read an article about, and that sparked an entirely new way of thinking about something we could do. Um, and, or there's a problem we have, we have, you know, this metric that's changed or this, um, consistent point of feedback that we're getting from users. And, um, you know, and that might spur the eye. So it's not a blank slate in the sense that I'm just sitting in a white room with no thoughts whatsoever. And I just poof, there's an idea. Um, it's usually trying to work towards solving some kind of problem. And, and sometimes it's the, um, someone saying, I wish there's a way that we could, you know, X and perhaps it's not been, it's been thought of before, but we always ran into an obstacle. Yeah. So then it's just a way of saying, okay, I wonder if there's, can we rethink that problem? Is there a new solution? Because we always got stuck at this one roadblock, but yet seemingly the, if we could overcome or could find a different way out, solving that problem would be a great thing to solve. So there's lots of different kind of vantage points for me about how I come in there. For me, it usually starts with that. Um, And again, we work all the way through that, even get to where, you know, it's refined and better and still kind of ask the question about timing about resource allocation, about all those, those, those things kind of become a later process. And sometimes that part of the process, I'm not even involved in, you know, like I might contribute at this part. And then when it comes to whether it gets implemented or when it gets implemented, um, it goes on the list and, and, and I'm not always the one that's deciding that. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm anymore. I'm rarely the one that's deciding that. Um, so, so I'm kind of content to kind of leave it in the category of, well, it's been defined and, We'll we'll do it when we're ready. So you guys at Uversion are probably one of the best examples that I can point to that understands this idea of incorporating user feedback and continuous improvement. Because we sure. know the things that get us here won't always get us where we need to go. But if you're willing to ask the tough questions necessary to say, okay, well, is this continuing to deliver the same level of value that it was right. in the beginning? Where can we improve this? How can we make this better? Uh, that's what's going to give your app and anyone who's listening, if you implement these practices, uh, it's going to help build uh, more of a sustainable, scalable, long-term future for your product. Uh, so I want to talk about leading. Um, obviously, Uversion is the number one Bible app. Uh, over 390 million uh, users uh, are installs using the app today. 
obviously when you see that kind of success for an app, it's very easy to kind of sit back and relax and just enjoy the momentum that, that you're seeing. But how do you keep the uh, intentionality and urgency to continue to improve and, uh, well, develop the app? Yeah, well, it's, it's funny sometimes because I'll have many, many times I've had people say, so you guys, um, so you developed the app and it's done well. So kind of what are you going to now? Now what are you doing? What are you going to do next? Right. And I laugh only because I'm thinking, so you developed the app as in like it was a one time event. Right. It's done yeah, in their mind. That's how it works. You know, you just you're, you create and it's finished. Um, and I tried to explain and sometimes I don't even try to explain because it's uh, it's it's maybe difficult to understand, but it's an on, it's always been an ongoing process. The, the vision and the roadmap that we have for kind of where we want to go is sort of always in front <laughs> of where we are, meaning we're never there. Right. And, um, and as fast as we've tried to move, we've seemed to never be able to move fast enough, yeah. you know, to kind of get there. Some of that comes as a leader where you always are trying to make sure that you have a lot of runway and a lot of vision out in front. And if you ever got, it would be a scary place for me to get when I think of, I can literally not think of another thing we can do to improve this. I literally can't think yeah. of another place we can grow of another, like if I got to that place, I don't know what that would be like. Right. I mean, that would be a, yeah. first of all, I don't think it's possible, but it'd be scary. Absolutely. You know, if we did. Yeah. So um, so there's always been kind of a constant, you know, look forward and drive to kind of continually improve. Um, I actually feel like static, like if we kept the app the same is actually decline. Yeah. And I think that's what most people need to think about if they're thinking about this space and, right. and, and is that keeping things the same is declining. Yeah, that's good. And, and so sometimes, you know, change is 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 maintaining you yeah. know like i mean you're you're trying to change just to kind of, i mean keep to up keep and, yeah um, at a level let alone to to grow and exceed, exceed beyond it and there's been seasons i mean 10 11 years there's been you know it's not been a, a constant you know yeah. we've been there's been a constant effort but there's not necessarily been constant results yeah so we've had times where i wasn't sure if we had kind of reached a plateau that was going to be difficult for us to you know grow through um, but it's been great that some the team has come up with some really great ideas that really begin to spur on growth again. Um, and then we've had um, inside of our team, we've had structural changes that we've had to implement and make over time um, to help support what's happening. Uh, some of those things came at the cost of growth, but at the at the improvement of sort of the structure and the support of what we're doing. So there's been kind of an ebb and flow. It's not been a constant up and to the right for us over those years. Um, but I do think that it's, it's um, you know, important that as a leader, we aren't, don't settle. Um, and and I, it's not woven into my personality. It's, it's kind of hard for me to understand people that might be apt to do that. Yeah. Um, we don't actually think that what we're a part of is something that we really did by ourselves. That also helps. Um, we really feel like that God's kind of been... Um, not kind of been that God's really orchestrated Absolutely. this, and we're yeah. trying. So we feel like we have this responsibility to steward what we're a part of. It's a little bit of a different concept. It's like ownership, but it's kind of even a little bit more intense yeah. in that we sort of feel like we're responsible for stewarding something that that isn't ours, yeah. and um, and that almost creates this bur burden or sense of urgency that we want to do really well with it. 
uh, and and so you know it's um, I've just never never settled for what is. I, I have this thing I've taught on in the past of just saying there's a difference between um, leading and being in the lead, and competition is my number one strength and yeah. strengths finder. Yeah. So this plays right well well into it. It's uh, when you're think about competition. A lot of times people are thinking, well, "Who's number one?" Yeah. You know, and um, and we were number one uh, in the category they're in on the day that it launched. So now what? So it's been 11 years of being number one. Yeah, Um, that's unusual. I mean, that's only happens whenever you create the category or when you, you know, had kind of a first mover advantage to sustain number one um, for 11 years is is not just leading or not just being in the lead, right. but actually leading. Yeah. That's the only way you can do that. That's good. Um, and meaning that someone that's not in the lead, that's mm-hmm. number two, yeah, could actually be leading right now in the sense that what they're doing, the decisions they're making, the features they're adding, the the growth trajectory that they're on yeah. is actually setting the pace yeah. for the industry. Everyone whatever else is industry adapting, it is. everyone's shifting everyone else yeah. is trying to to figure out how to be like number two. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time, you know, in, in execution before number two is number one. Right. And so that's the difference between being in the lead and leading. That's good. Yeah. And and so the problem when you're number one is sometimes it can be really challenging to know if you're leading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning sometimes it's it's hard to you know, you have to kind of comb through the accolades or the awards or the yes, the yeah. presumptions, you know, that others might have. Right. To be able to recognize when you're seeing a decline, mm-hmm. not just in the numbers may all still look solid, but when it comes to kind of where things are moving and whether or not you've adapted, uh, whether or not you see others adapting faster or, or adjusting or le- or actually creating, you know, paths that you're like, we never would have thought of that. Yeah. We're not thinking of that. Why didn't we think of that? You know, that kind of exactly. thing. And so it takes um, it, it, it takes probably a healthy dose of humility to be able to know that you're not yeah. leading, but you're in the lead um, because you have to be pretty honest, you know, with yourself. And I think some people are uh, pride is a real hang up, you know, yeah. and it's why when you're number one, you just kind of presume that you're you're the leader until one day you're not. <laughs> Now, what would you say to uh, those who might be listening who maybe have been a part of an organization that is uh, that was at one point number one, uh, whether it's a tech-focused organization or more of a traditional brick-and-mortar, uh, but they're beginning to realize that there are others that are probably in the number two position that are setting the pace for their, their space, the category that they solve problems in. How can they begin to influence the culture of the organization yeah well think that way. you have to be honest i think uh self-awareness is where it starts and organizational self-awareness is is a big part of it yeah um as a leader i always like try to try to make sure we're um i'm really keen on vocabulary and how that affects our behavior so if i were in that position you know the first thing i would do if i hadn't already is I would start to make sure we adjust our vocabulary. We're going to eliminate any vocabulary that talks about ourselves like we're big, mm-hmm. um, that talks that talks about our history, our heritage, our legacy, yeah. our all those things. It's not that those things aren't valuable or important. It's just they're not important when it comes to 
leading. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's sort of trying to eliminate those things that I feel like hold people back. You're, you're less likely to take risks if you think that you have a lot on, uh, on the line. Yeah. And if you, if you reorient your organization and your vocabulary, <laughs> if, if you're trying to reorient your organization, yeah. reorient your vocabulary first. Because without that, it'll it'll work against you at every turn. So everything you say, hey, we're going to go here. But then all of the normal conversations day to day still talk about the organization as if it's too big, as, yeah. if, it's, as if it's the leader, as if it's got like the risk to, to, to make change is such a big risk because so many people look to us and, and look what we've achieved. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, there's such a pride in who our company oh, yeah. is, all these things they just, for, all yeah. they do is just work against you. You kind of believe what the media says about you or mm -hmm. believe what others say about you. So the first thing you have to do is or reorient your vocabulary in an effort to bring self-awareness yeah. to who the organization is. Um, and then you have to be humble yourselves, yeah. you know, become students. Uh, it's not, um, you know, and recognize that that whatever change took place that kind of caused that to happen for you to go from being number one for a long period of time to right. not being number one, um, it didn't happen overnight. It may seem like it did, right. but that's because you weren't aware. It's very delayed. Yeah. It, 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 it's you're seeing something that felt like it happened overnight, but it wasn't. And that means that it's going to take some time. You can't expect that the results, you, you might end up being number three <laughs> or number four right. before you, you know, end up getting it working and going right. the right direction. Um, and it's not because you have a big ship that's slow to turn. It's just because sometimes the things that changes that you need to make and need to implement um, won't happen instantly. Right. And, um, and, and you have to, again, swallow any bit of pride that you have and just say, sometimes the way that number two is doing it, we should do that. That should right. be the baseline. Yeah. And we really need to get our product or our service or our company or whatever the uh, our feature set. We need to baseline it at we're number two or now number one or whatever right, it is. Right. Um, and and build and then innovate from there yeah. because that is the best starting place. And that's hard for some people to kind it, of it, adjust it can to. Be. Yeah, yeah, it makes big, me big think issue. about um, you know just the dynamic between uh, Blockbuster versus Netflix. Right. It's a, talked about a lot, but you know Blockbuster at some point decided to look at what Netflix was doing and implement streaming, implement some of the things that they did, but it was too late, yep. right? And when they realized, when Netflix began to realize the business that they're in, they're not necessarily in the business of just, um, you know, DVD rental delivery at the yep. time. It was entertainment. They began to redefine new channels for entertainment. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's exactly what happened. I mean, Netflix had, and I don't know, you know, I don't know enough about their history to know like when they had the vision for yeah. what they thought was coming, or if that emerged as the opportunity and the market emerged. Um, but they clearly had a different vantage point for where they were going, a different trajectory than Blockbuster. They they were overlapped in kind of their competition in the right. industry, and one would essentially eliminate the need for the other. But um, but it, but it could have just been that Blockbuster's pointed one direction, and they're pointing completely different, and their yeah. their starting points here. And by the time Blockbuster recognized it, of course, they had to um, turn around. And, yeah, yeah, and at that point, they were they were just in the wrong spot. Absolutely. 
Well, Bobby, thanks for joining me on the show today. And uh, for those of you who are listening, if you want to find out more about uh, the YouVersion Bible app, you can look for it in the App Store on any device and also go to YouVersion.com. Bobby, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, that concludes another episode of the Founders Craft Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to hear your feedback. Go to AskMikeGonzalez.com. There you will find the ability to leave a comment and join the conversation in the community. Also, I'd love to interact with you. If you have social media, you can find me at Mike Gonzalez on Instagram. Send me a direct message. Follow me. Would love to chat with you there. That is all for the show today. Until next time.